Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, verse 7. Paul writes to the church, he writes to you and I, and he says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Just simply want to connect to where we were a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night and last Sunday night because the Lord's just kept this in my heart for this thought. And I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on this thought, loosed, take the limits off. Everybody say loosed. Everybody say take the limits off. God bless you as you're seated in Jesus' name. I want to read you something as I began this message this morning. I uh, regularly get newsletters from our foreign missionaries, and some of y'all that personally sponsor missionaries, you do as well. And we also get newsletters sent to the church from our foreign missionaries. I want you to listen as I share with you one of these reports, a recent report dated this month, actually. And this is in Mexico, and this is from our missionary, Brother Stephen and Danita Dross. In the early part of July, my assistant pastor, Brother Alan Alvarez, sent me a message explaining that when he arrived to the church on Monday morning for ladies' prayer meeting, someone had poured a salt line across the front of the church door and left dolls wrapped in red cloth. I immediately told him that a witch was challenging him and our church I told him to confess any hidden sin in his life so he would be ready to engage the witch. And after he and his wife finished praying, I instructed him to break the salt line, pull down the dolls, and wait for the witch to show up. I told him that she would immediately sense the salt line was broken and show up in efforts to intimidate him. I told him that when she arrived, he needed to say, The Lord Jesus rebuke you in a very calm but authoritative way. I instructed him not to engage in dialogue, but in a prayerful and humble spirit, rebuked the enemy in Jesus' name. After four hours, I received a text that included these photos of the witch being baptized in Jesus' name. After her baptism, hold on a minute. After her baptism, I told Brother Alvarez to go to her home and clean it of any witchcraft objects I also instructed him to, assure, or to ensure every object was broken. If at first she was afraid, he was to break one single small object so she would know she had nothing to fear. But after that, she along with anyone else in her household were to break every single one of the objects to break the habits and spiritual attacks. They threw away four trash bags of broken objects. She has since testified of her baptism to all her ex-clients, ready for this? And 148 of them have been baptized in Jesus' name. What a mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's our God. That's the God that we're having a great time here with right now in Lexington, Tennessee. Is anybody with me right now? The same power is working all over the world. Look at the scripture with me one more time as we jump back into this passage, Colossians 2, 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In light of that passage of Scripture, I just simply want to start this by asking you a question. And you can yell your answer to me. I actually would prefer that you yelled your answer to me. Have you received Christ Jesus, our Lord? That's very good. Y'all are doing your part good. Let's keep that up. Born again of water and of spirit. And those of you that could not yell a yes affirmatively to me, if not, you can today. Today, you can have your past eradicated from your future. 
You can be disconnected from what you were and step into a brand new life in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away and all things become new. And then to those of you that have yelled yes to me, when I ask you if you've received Christ Jesus our Lord and born again of water and spirit, if so, are you walking in his life? Are you rooting in his word? Are you building your life on his word? Are you established in the faith? And are you abounding with thanksgiving? As we look into this, I want to connect with where we were just this past Sunday night and the Wednesday prior to that because this is where God has directed my heart. If you jump back with me again to the 11th chapter of John, you find the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus was Jesus' good friend. Lazarus and his sisters lived in the little town of Bethany that was just a walking distance away from Jerusalem. Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was sick unto death. He was very, very ill. And word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was dying, if you will. And Jesus seemingly ignored it. And he looked at his disciples and he said, this sickness is not unto death. In other words, death will not win in this story. This is for the glory of God. And then Lazarus died. Jesus did not tell a lie. Jesus established the truth. He said, this is not death's victory. Death is not going to chalk this one up as a victory. This one will be for the glory of God. So Jesus made his way back to Bethany. He went to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus after Lazarus had died. And Lazarus had already been buried. They had already had the funeral. And, and Jesus goes to the gravesite in John chapter 11, verse 38. Jesus groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they might believe or they might believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now that's the story of the power of the great I am, the resurrection and life. Jesus made that statement that I am the resurrection and the life. But there's some things that deserve being zeroed in on and focused on. There were two things in this story that Jesus didn't do, and one thing that he did do that nobody else could do. And, and when you look at it, there's two things that Jesus is telling us that you did that I won't do. And there's one thing that I'll do that you never would be able to do. You move the stone because you put it there. You move the stone, and I'll do the resurrection. You take off the grave clothes of the living man because he needs to be loosed from what he used to be. Now, the grave clothes were, was a linen sheet that covered the body. And if y'all were here the other night, you heard me tell this. But it's a linen sheet that covered the body. And then they would take and there would be uh, herbs inside that linen sheet up against the flesh that would make him smell better. And they would wrap it with cloth strips and they would wrap it very, very tight. They'd wrap up the entire body. They'd put a covering over the face. And so he was mummified almost, if you will. And inside that sheet against the body were those fragrant spices and the cloth covered his body and his face. I want you to hear me. 
Because here's the message. It's not just about the burial process there in ancient times. Those grave clothes, the grave clothes signified what had happened. And the grave clothes connected him to his past trauma. The grave clothes presented or represented death, and they identified him with what was. The grave clothes were death's bondage. And free men, free men get dressed up. They don't get wrapped up. And Jesus, Jesus cried to that dead man, Lazarus, come forth. And verse 44, and he that was dead came forth. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Y'all hang in here with me because we're going somewhere. A.W. Tozer made this statement, this observation in regard to this story. He said, The devil makes it his business to keep Christians in bondage bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in their own grave clothes. Why doesn't the old devil Satan give up and bow out of the picture when a person becomes a believing Christian? Although he's a dark and sinister foe or sinister foe dedicated to the damnation of, huma of humans, I think he knows that it is no use trying to damn a forgiven and justified child of God who is in the Lord's hands. So it becomes the devil's business to keep the Christian spirit in prison. He knows that the believing and justified Christian has been raised up out of the grave of his sins and trespasses. And from that point on, Satan's work, Satan works that much harder to keep us bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in our own grave clothes. He knows that if we continue in this kind of bondage, we will never be able to claim our rightful spiritual heritage. He knows that while we continue bound, in this kind of enslavement, we are no better off than when we were spiritually dead. But somebody, somebody in this room heard a voice that came into your dead state and it said, Armando, come forth. Jason, come forth. Stoney, come forth. Richard, come forth. Todd came forth or come forth. And you came out victorious over that dead place that you were in. We know that. And every one of us that are sitting in this room today know that we heard his voice that pierced our darkness and we responded to it and we came out. But the story is not complete because not only did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, he looked at those around and he said, now you wrapped him up, unwrap him. Remove those grave clothes from his body and everything that identified him to that grave, you release him from it. Somebody in this room today, and I'm pushing against something this morning because somebody, somebody's up against a deliverance. Somebody's up against a breakthrough. And there's some powers that's been working against your life that wants to sabotage what God is doing. But there's too much authority and too much power in this room for you to walk out of here bound with what you came in here with. He is here to deliver and to set you free permanently. Somebody needs to realize that I can come out of my grave clothes. I've been raised, and I will be loosed. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes to the church, and he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. In other words, he made us alive by grace are you saved and he hath raised us up together poke your neighbor and say i'm sitting higher than i used to he has raised us up together and he's made us sit together in heavenly places in christ jesus anybody sitting higher than you used to sit 
Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say I've been brought up, been brought out, I've been elevated? I'm in a different place now. Paul goes on to say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now there's some of y'all, some of y'all that are here right now that you're, you're maybe thinking to yourself, I've heard you use these scriptures now three times in a row. If you're thinking that, my thought is, so what? <laughs> because once you hear something about two or three times, it's finally going to start generating something in you. Somebody needs to realize that we've got keys to daily victory in our lives. We've got to realize, number one, that Jesus made us alive. We were dead, but now we are alive in Christ Jesus. And somebody needs to realize because the enemy's been trying to keep you bound. And I, I'm just telling you what God's putting in my spirit. That the, some of us need to realize that he's already, God's already, our Lord and Savior has already forgiven you of your sins. And if the enemy comes along and says, what about this? You just look back at him and say, Jesus forgot it and I'm forgetting it too. And I ain't going to be held down by what you're trying to do. He forgave us all of our sins. And Paul writes that there in Colossians when he says that he blotted out all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That just simply means that all the charges that were brought against you, that the death of Jesus Christ canceled the charges of what you owed for your sins. Everything that was against us, he condemned it, he nailed it to his cross. And then... When you look at that verse there in Colossians in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 15, having spoiled all principalities and powers, that just simply means that he disarmed powers and authorities. And he made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross. Jesus told us in his own words when he's walking on this earth, that the prince of the world was going to be cast out. And in John chapter 12, verse 31, he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities, and then he disgraced them publicly. And I want to remind somebody of something this morning, that Satan, no matter how big and bad and awful you may think he is, he's already been defeated. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Jesus has already defeated him, and he knows his days are limited, and he knows he's going to be bound for eternity. He's already been cast out. He's, already, he's on his way to being cast in forever. He's already been limited by what Jesus has done, and somebody needs to stand on the word of God and say, I trust what Jesus did. I will resist the devil in faith, and I will resist him with the truth of his defeat. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he wants to beguile us with his abilities, but we don't have to buy in to his lies. And so the truth of the matter is he knows that you've been resurrected. Are you all with me? He knows that the quickening power of God has brought you out of your grave. But he also knows that if you get loosed from your grave clothes, you're going to be, you're going to be too powerful for him to mess with. But we got a loosing party that's about to take place in this room this morning. Victory belongs to you and I. We need to know the truth and we need to believe it and we need to stand on the truth that we know and we need to resist those things of hell in faith of what the Lord has done. The world's going to tell you, and I've battled with this thought for the past two or three days, because we're here in this area, this, this spiritual dynamic, if you please. 
and I don't want to discredit those among us that work with, with, with situations that are going on in people's lives because God puts ministries in people's lives for a reason. But there's something in this place that needs to be broken today, and I want you to hear me. The world will tell you that the dominating influence on your life is your past. And I've said this before. I'm going to say it again today. The world will tell you that the dominating influence on your life is your past. Our past is powerful. Our past impresses upon us. We develop our perceptions from the environments that we grew up with. We develop the way we look at things, the way we process things, the way we deal with things based on where we've been and what our experiences have been. The world will tell you that if you came from a difficult home, that that's going to chart the course for the rest of your life. The world will tell you that if you grew up in a culture that was treated unfairly, that's going to dictate the condition of the rest of your life. The world will tell you that if you were hurt or abused, or if you spent your youth as a rebellious youth doing all kinds of things detrimental to your life, or if your daddy was an alcoholic, or if your mother was a drug addict. For the rest of your life, you're going, to be, you're going to spend it struggling with your past. It's the mindset of the world, and it is a prevailing mindset. It's prevailing. So how can we justify the fact that as children of God, we believe that old things pass away and all things are become new, but still want to buy into that mindset. The writer tells us, and Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I didn't give this to the media, but he said in Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed. That means don't be shaped, don't be morphed, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now it may not happen instantaneously for you to come out of your grave clothes, but honey, you need to quit making outfits of your grave clothes and wearing them into your church service because if you've come out of the grave, it's time to get as far away from the old wardrobe that you can possibly get away. Matter of fact, some of you need to go do some purging because you got some grave clothes hanging in your closet. You got some grave clothes you've been delicately holding on to. You got some things the enemy's been whispering to you and telling you you may wear that sometime in the future. You need to go home and say, I'm having a yard sale. I'm taking it to Goodwill. I'm not wearing this no more. It doesn't belong in my closet. I'm getting rid of it. I believe somebody's hearing what I'm saying this morning. You see, the people of the world focus on what you're overcoming, but we as children of God that have been brought out of the grave are focusing on what we are becoming. It's not about overcoming. It's about what we are becoming. And the Holy Ghost, by the Word of God, is conforming us to the image of Christ. Our future is so full and rich and exciting that it supersedes whatever happened in the past. Jesus Christ is the resurrection power, and it's by his word, and it's by the ministry of his word. It's by the church, and it's by personal discipline. It's by the tools that the Lord gives us of loosing that we then begin to realize that he's given us the power to come out of the grave, and he's also given me the ability and the power to be loosed from what it was that identified me with my grave. Somebody needs to hear me right now. There's somebody in this room, and I, I, I'm not one of those spiritual preachers, and I don't want to come across that way. I try to be, but I'm just me. I'm just David. I preached at Kingsport a couple of weeks ago. I had the privilege of preaching there, and I felt the prophetic anointing come on me, and I prophesied to that church. 
And then I told the pastor later, that's usually, I don't usually operate like that. It's cool. It's really cool. But I'm just a pastor. I love to study the Word, and I love to deliver the Word of God. I love to preach the Word. But I feel something pushing me in my spirit right now to, to, to tell somebody. I believe it's going to be an eye-opening thing that some of you have become so comfortable with the clothes that identified you with your grave that you're unable to make progress in your walk with God because you have not come out of your grave clothes. I think you ought to just reach over and put your hand on the shoulder of that person beside you. And let's pray one for another right now. Lift your voice. In the name of Jesus, God, I just pray right now in this place that you would just let your spirit just become alive as the Word of God tells us that your Word is sharp and powerful. It, it, it's, it's more powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword. I pray today that your, your Word and by your Spirit that there would be enlightenment, that there would be things that will begin to take place spiritually and emotionally here right now, that there would be a loosing in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, let's give a praise to the Lord. Come on, let's give a praise to Him. Bless the Lord. Paul writes to Timothy, his son, in the gospel, in the book of 2 Timothy. Catherine, I jumped one verse, one passage. But Paul writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6. He said, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hand. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. What God has done in your life is greater than what life had done to you prior to that. What God has done in your life is greater than what life did to you prior to that. Lazarus came out of the grave, was unloosed from his grave clothes. And in John chapter 12, verse 1, verse 2, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Verse 2, there, made him, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them at set at the table with him. You know what I'm looking at this morning? I'm looking at about 250 or 300 Lazaruses. I'm looking at a church full of resurrected people that you've been brought out of your grave and you're sitting at supper with the king of glory. He has brought you out and set you at his table. But let me ask, though, let, me, let me just ask you this. Have you made a church outfit out of your grave clothes? Because I honestly, I'm looking at some of us, and, 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 and it just almost looks like y'all made an outfit out of your grave clothes. Or let me ask you this. Let me ask you a nicer question. Have you come out of your grave clothes and are you moving further and further away from them? I believe there's some people in this room that are so unhappy with where you were and so happy with where you are that you want to get as far removed from that as you possibly can. I'm not even going back near the grave, let alone picking up my grave clothes. He brought me out and I'm doing everything I can to stay out. But this message is simple. This message is simple. I'm almost done. I'm about to start my first point. But that what I just preached to you was my introduction. So my first point is going to be very simple, and my second point is going to be even that much more simple, and my third point is going to be the simplest of all. Point number one, it's possible to limit an unlimited God. God's people, Israel, we know their story. They were in covenant with him. They were in his care. 
His people, Israel, as you read the Old Testament, you see these things played out for us, had his delivering power evidenced in their lives. His power, his provision, his purpose, it was all right there. But they became a perpetual example of vacillation. They were inconsistent. They were spiritually all over the place. To the point that hundreds of years after their story, songs were written about them. Now, we, we know songs, you know, the blues songs, the country songs, and all that stuff. And those songs, we, I was in a discussion here a while back about my favorite country song. I know it sounds weird, but my favorite country song is a George Jones song, He Stopped Loving Her Today. And I think it was at a funeral home was talking about it because that's all it seems like I've done lately. But I was at a funeral dinner, and I said, I think I want that at my funeral if I die before Bonnie. He stopped loving her today. It's a pretty cool song. We know the background. We know the story. Now, my dad, my dad loves the song, Go Rest High on the Mountain. He just don't want the song at his funeral because the song in its context it was written about a guy that had struggled through life and and uh, now things are, are all of that's behind him so we know songs songs come from life and so that's what psalms is in psalm 78 it came from life it came from the history of the people of god and this is a psalm of of asaph and he starts it out in psalm 78 verse 1 give ear O my people to my law incline your ears to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his powerful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children." that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now this psalm, Psalm 78, is a long psalm. It's got 72 verses. And smack in the middle of this song, this psalm, you will find what really happened. It's going to be succinctly stated. It's going to be the condensed version of the story. In Psalm 78, verse 40, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God. And notice this one phrase sums it up. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. They limited the Almighty. They saw God's delivering power. They saw the waters of the Red Sea divide. They walked across on dry ground. They saw the pillar of fire that led them by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They witnessed the plagues and the devastation of Egypt on the, the ones that were oppressing them. They saw the powerful deliverance that God brought into their life, yet they limited God. How does a person limit God? There's three ways of limiting God, and it's found right here in the same psalm. Psalm 78, verse 19. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God? Everybody say, can God? Can God became a fatal question for the children of Israel because those that said, can God, were shut out of the promised land. So we have to ask ourselves the question because we look at this Old Testament and we see that it was given for our example. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we doing the same thing? Can God move in my situation? Can God provide what I need? Can God extricate me from this terrible snare that I'm entangled in? Well, rather than saying, can God why don't we begin saying God can? Because we limit what God can do when we begin thinking that what we're going through is too hard. 
for God. The second thing was their hypocrisy. In Psalm 78, verse 36, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with them, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So when things got bad, they came running to him, telling him what they thought he wanted to hear. Some people are dumb enough to treat God like he's one of your parents. You learned how to manipulate your parents by telling them what you thought they wanted to hear. Now, I was fooled all my life. Raising my kids, they fooled me. I'm still fooled. I'm a sucker. People can tell me something, and I'll believe it. And especially if they tell me what tickles my ears and what I want to hear. And, but I want to tell you something. You can't fool God. God's not duped. God's not fooled. Galatians 6, 7, Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You can't fool God. So they came running to him, telling him what they thought he wanted to hear. Not only must we have faith, we need to be faithful in the word of God and to the word of God. And the third thing, they turned back. Psalm 78, verse 41, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Again and again, they, they tested God. They set bounds on God. When you read the story of the children of Israel, you look at them and they, they declared that their giants were too big and those walls were too thick and those armies were too powerful. They made a declaration that we're just grasshoppers in the sight of our enemies. You see, we can limit God by unbelief and we can limit God by our perceptions of how we are and how things are around us. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 53, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Notice this. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And then verse 58, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It's not because he can't do it. It's because we limit him with our mindsets. Instead of saying, Can God we ought to be looking at whatever it is we're facing, and we ought to say, God can. Why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord right now? Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The second thing I want to point out to you is that he is eternal, he is omnipotent, and he is working. Moses writes to us in Psalm 90. He said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Some of you may have just started your walk with God. It may be really recent. It may be really fresh. But you're not jumping into something that just started. You're jumping into something that has been going on from generation to generation, from everlasting to everlasting. It's important to note, Moses wrote Psalm 90, and it's important to note that Moses had his call when God met him at a bush that was burning. And I want somebody to see this. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, Moses saw the bush that was burning. He turned aside, and God spoke to him and began to call him to his purpose. Verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then God confirmed his power to Moses. And then in chapter 4 of Exodus, beginning at verse 1, Moses answered and said, they won't believe me. They won't hearken to my voice. They're going to tell me that the Lord did not appear unto you. And the Lord said unto him, what is, what is that in thine hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. 
And then the Lord says, put your hand out, take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and he caught it and became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. I want you to notice something today. That our involvement in God's work is in the context of hundreds of years of divine activity. God pointed it out to Moses that I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. We're connected to what was, what is, and what will be. God spoke to Moses. He said, I am the I am. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and I am with you. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Somebody help me because we're, we're going to start bringing this home this morning. God of yesterday is the God of today, and we need to grab a hold of that, and we need to realize this, that what we are doing right now is in the context of thousands of years of history with the King of glory, the mighty God. He is the mighty God. What he was, he is. We're connected with it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and all these, or these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect or complete. The story of the Bible is being completed as we continue on in this walk by faith. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You and I are connected to the purpose, the provision, and the power of Almighty God. And the third thing, Nathan, would you come back? The third thing is where we started. We've been loosed. Somebody needs to take the limits off. He's raised us. And we need to step into this life of living loosed and unlimited. Going back to our text scripture in Colossians chapter 2 and look at it. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. We've received the Lord. We need to walk in what we've received. We need to build our life on what he's done and his word says. We need to learn how to live abounding with thanksgiving. And beware, beware lest we're spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. The whole point of this message today, y'all, is how human mindsets can begin warping what God has done. That the power of God can move into our life, but we still remain bound in things that God does not want us to stay bound in. There needs to be a loosing. There needs to be a walking in this new life of progressively moving forward and getting further and further away from all that identified us to what we were. Don't let anybody fool you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Colossians 2, 9, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2.10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You're buried with him in baptism 
you're risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made us sure of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Paul says, you are complete in him. He didn't partially deliver you. He completely delivered you. When his voice penetrated the dead place that you were in, when his spirit moved to where we were, into that dead condition, into that dark place, The power of God brought us up out of that. I feel the Lord driving me on this right now. He didn't partially deliver, deliver you. He completely delivered you. There's no such thing as being half resurrected. You're either resurrected or you're still dead. He didn't just half resurrect Lazarus. Lazarus, it was a miracle that he even came out of the grave because he was bound so tight with the grave clothes. But he came out by the power of God, the resurrection power of God, moved into that dead body. And against all odds, he came, he came alive out of that grave, not partially, but completely. He didn't partially save you, save you he completely saved you. And he didn't start a work in you to partially do it he started it to complete Jesus tells us in John 10 9 I am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly don't y'all to hear me our community, my heart breaks for my community right now, right now. Just in the past week, some things that have happened, and he stretch it out for the past month, and my heart is broken for our community. Our community, our state, our nation, our world, our homes, our marriages, our families are under attack. But I've come to remind somebody today that God is greater God is unlimited. And we look at statistics and facts and situations and problems and we begin to question, can God? And Jesus, Jesus simply looks at it and he answers. Let's use his own words in Matthew 19, 26. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Somebody just needs to make one more step. Because that next step is going to take you further away from where you had been and you're stepping you closer and closer to where God's called you to. Would you stand with me right now? Would you just stand and raise your hands all over this room? God is unlimited. God is unlimited in His wisdom, in His mercy, in His justice, in His grace, in His power, in His greatness. God is higher than everything. He's greater than everything. And one of the greatest things that we can do in a time like this is to grab hold of the truth of the Word of God and look at our situation and say, with men it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
It's impossible that Billy Bray would be sitting right back there today, and I don't want to keep beating this one, but it's impossible, according to man, that he would be sitting here in this building today. But with God, all things are possible. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at some people this morning that human possibility ran out on you a long time ago. The statistics were against you, but against those statistics, you're standing here today having been called out of your grave. With men, it may look impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Labriska, am I looking at you? With man, the statistics said that's not a possibility. But with God, with my own hands in that baptistry a few months ago, I baptized her in the lovely name of Jesus and the power of God came into that life. And Stephen and Misty and others around this room that you would have been written off a long time ago based on the statistics of humanity. But with God, there is no limitation. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, look at these words, now unto him that is able, read that with me, unto him that is able. Let's read that again. Now unto him that is able. Poke your neighbor and say, he's able. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. This is his church. This is his body. This is his people. And if there's anybody on earth that God wants to show his power, it's to you and I that are standing here today. He is able. He is able. Let's use Jesus' own words to close this out in Revelation 1.8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which was and which is and which is to come, the Almighty. And then later on, the four beasts, Revelation 4.8. The four beasts. Each of them had six wings about him and were full of eyes within, and they did not rest day and night. But like Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6, John saw this. They were saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. Why don't you just lift your hands with, with all your heart to the Lord and just give praise to the one who was, which is, which is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've already heard testimonies this week. I got a phone call as I was traveling to Indiana for a funeral of what looked like an impossibility that God turned it around. We've heard testimonies. We've seen witness to what God can do and what God is able to do. There's somebody in this room today that needs to step forward and say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to walk away from those things that are holding me back, those things that identify me where I used to be, and I'm stepping into my new life. Come on. Come on. He makes all things new. You want something from the Lord? Come on down here. Come on to the front. Saints of God, those of you that need something, let's gather around this altar. Let's close this out this morning. He makes all things new. He makes all things new. Hallelujah. 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 I'm walking out. I'm walking into it. In the name of Jesus. Y'all begin praying one for another. Come on, all around this room. Hallelujah. 
thankful for the word today we're going to go into a baptism here today but I just want to tell you as we're getting prepared to do the baptism it's never too late to start over in your life again you may have come into this place today and you may have felt like you're a hopeless cause but there are no hopeless causes with the Lord with his grace, with his mercy. I remember when I felt like a hopeless cause, I was like, Lord, I've messed my life up. I can't ever be right again. I'm ruined, I'm messed up. I'm, I'm at a, if even God can do anything with this situation. But you know what I did? I turned it all over to the Lord and I surrendered it to Jesus and he took the broken pieces. He took the broken pieces, the mess that I had caused. I was the one that had caused it. But he took the broken pieces and he put it all back together again. And by his grace, he made something beautiful out of something that was messy and that was all messed up. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his mercy? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for this precious young person, Lord, that's given their heart to you and that's going down in the water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you to have your hand on her. Fill her with the Holy Ghost. Let your work be done in her life in Jesus' precious name. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What
Tennessee. Brother Marshall is about to baptize David, who is from East Tennessee. He's visiting here this weekend. Brother Marshall taught him a Bible study. He's going to be baptized here momentarily in the name of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you thankful for what God is doing? Oh, let's give him praise. If, you, if you're starting to slip out, tonight is our Senior Saints Night. We're going to have a great time. We're going to do older style songs. And Brother uh, Raymond Roach is going to be bringing us the word of the Lord this evening. One of our incredible retired pastors or redirected pastors. We love and appreciate him. Let's continue to worship the Lord. David, David uh, came visiting today, and uh, there was a great move uh, during the worship service just now, and then we had a Bible study while the message was going on. We were sitting down in Pastor Nick's office, and we were doing a Bible study. It became very clear for David why he was brought here today. The Lord brought him here for this. He's going into the waters in Jesus' name for the remission of all sins. Hallelujah. So David, I'm going to ask you this question. Hold your nose. Right, and on your other hand, touch your wrist. Okay, and I'm going to hold you this way and put you into the water. David, you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that he was buried and he rose again for you? Yes. This is the confession of your faith and upon your confession, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Go and say in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Oh! 